If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Y'all's the hate on all of my moves, but now niggas on it. That used to bait me on me and my views, but now niggas on it. I used to tell them I had me a show, but now niggas on it. Her homies on it. Your homies on it. Y'all's the hate on all of my moves, but now niggas on it. That used to bait me on me and my views, but now niggas on it. I used to tell them I had me a show, but now niggas on it. Her homies on it. Your homies on it. What up, what up? We back. Realist Podcast 7, man. It's your boy C. Diddy. I'm here on location. Uh, we are at the beautiful Wayward Restaurant inside the Canopy Hotel by Hilton down here in the heart of Center City, Philadelphia. I'm here with a very, very special guest. And with that in mind, I want to set him up properly, let y'all know exactly who he is, what he's done. And we're going to get into a super dynamic conversation today um, around a very untapped market when it comes to minority players on an equity standpoint. So I think that's the lens that we're gonna go through this conversation with, but with that in mind, today's guest is a renaissance man and an innovator in every sense of the word. His life's work has included stints in the entertainment industry and touring, where he worked with the likes of Loud Records, Wu-Tang Clan, Method Man, and Jay-Z in the late 1990s. His more recent ventures feature a foray into the world of philanthropy and wine and spirits. In 2009, as Brooklyn native, took his talents to the Lehigh Valley to establish This Life Forever, incorporated the parent company to his original wine product, Brenea Sparkling Rosé, hopefully I said that right, and the now double gold award-winning Mishka Vodka. Under his leadership, This Life Forever has become the nation's first dual-licensed minority-owned winery and distillery trp nation let's give it up for another high level conversation with a father a husband board member ceo master distiller master blender and founder of mishka vodka russell fletcher the second that's great thank you sir i appreciate it thank you man appreciate you being here today there's a lot of different people in the room today and everybody that's here kind of all has like some small formal or informal relationship with one another. And I think that everybody kind of getting in the room today brought everything full circle. It takes a team. Uh, to where we <laughs> can have not only this conversation, but build a bridge to what we're trying to do together in the oh, future. I so I want to start by saying thank you for joining us today. And um, uh, and again, you. we're here at the way where, where this is their resort room. It's beautiful. The vibes is, is crazy. <laughs> we got, you know, we got the pop up. We got we got a lot going on, man. Um, but with that in mind, um, I think it's important to talk about your partnership with the Wayward, with Hilton, mm -hmm. um, and how that relationship came about. I think that's a fair starting point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this location here, even the Hilton within itself, um, they have a diversity program, which is a great thing. Absolutely. When it comes down to what it is that we're doing. Um, but even outside of that, the staff here from the bartenders, uh, Lamar, who works part-time with us here, uh, he's a huge supporter. Uh, he brought us in, and the general manager here, Chris, right. he opened the gates for us, and uh, I think that we've shown and proved Absolutely. as a brand. So yeah. thankful as far as for that. Um, and obviously it gives us the ability to be able to do what we're doing yeah, here. Yeah, to do cool installations great. like this. Uh, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't lose as far as on that side. <laughs> Without I mean, a we're doubt. In the, we're in the middle of beautiful Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. Right? While the Eagles take on, you know, <laughs> against watch, the Cowboys. Watching the game is right? great. <laughs> I mean, come on. I don't think it's a better vibe. Mishka's here. Yeah. We're here as a team. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> when I hear this life forever, uh -huh. it does a few things. 
It speaks to commitment, dedication, and it also lets me know that your foundation is grounded in hip hop culture. Because there's a, it's a lyric, it's a Jay-Z lyric. I'm stuck in this life forever. The more things change, the more the they stay the same. same. Who am I to change the game? That's it. And with that in mind, it kind of lets me know who you are before <laughs> I even know you. So talk about some of like your past, your past life and being in the entertainment industry and kind of how that brought you forward to where you are today. Yeah, I was, um, you know, This Life Forever was obviously, as you stated, a song, Jay-Z, um, that for me, it mirrored so much of my upbringing uh, just because of the things that were around. Right. You know, we come from what we come from. Indeed. Thankfully. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> I, I like it that way because right. it, it gives you the grit and the grind of it. Indeed. Uh, but I was finishing up a, uh, a tour stop and that was a B-side out. That was a B-side mm -hmm. song. And with yeah. that B-side song, it spoke to me. Because of the fact of, you know, from the same, you know, from the same place, right. essentially, uh, just like here in South Philly, I recognize the guys in South Philly have a lot to do, you know, as far as with the culture, yeah. you know, culturally connected with the guys in Brooklyn. And that's a whole nother song. Right? We're going to do it. It's a whole nother Jay-Z song. Exactly. So, so at the end of the day, um, hearing him express that song, stop after stop, uh, I knew right away, I said, that's got to be something that I hold on to. Right. Came back, trademarked, got the domain, got everything. And yeah. It's been, you know, that's the soundtrack of my life. Why? Indeed. Because it's true. Right. The more things change, the more, the more they, they stay, stay the same. same. Right? Yeah. Who am I to change the game? <laughs> I, you know, I just want to add something to it in right. order to be able to get it and make sure that we can get our piece. So that's where that came from, and that's how that played out. Right. Yeah. Uh, as I alluded to in the intro, uh, you wore a lot of different hats throughout your life that have taken you to different places and spaces. Is there anything you identify within yourself that made you passionate about these various industries that kind of guided you through your journey? Um, 17, 18 years old, uh, being able to do tour stops with Wu-Tang, being befriended between Method Man, Inspector Deck, and you know, the clan side of it, um, that was big because, uh, you know, as we grow up and as we grow into it, you know, there's trauma, you know, and to be able Absolutely. to have that type of embrace uh, during that time, it was really, really key for me. So as I looked at music and watched the scene of music, there was, you know, there was that holy trinity for me. There was music, there was fashion, but then there was alcohol. Yeah. So as I traveled through the journey and whether it was working for, um, you know, the Woo or working at Loud or working at Def Jam or working for Ye, those things, they never changed. So I was always able to find that mix right? because of the fact that those things were already embedded in me. So when it came down to the influence of who I am now, um, all those things kind of, you know, they all kind of pieced together. Right. I always realized that those were the pillars. Yeah. Whenever I interview business people, I like to talk about core competencies and structure. As you move through all these different industries, are there any things that you notice that are static or are applicable from industry to industry? Or things that you bring with you as you make your next step into something else? It's always gonna be about meeting the people where they are. So, you know, whether it be music, you could like a certain type of music, but at the same time, because I've owned studios, I've been partners in studios, video, yeah. multimedia. Uh, it's always going to be about meeting the people where they are. So if you can find that sales side of it right. and make it just natural, 
uh, that's going to work all the time. I mean, I've got a five-year-old at home right now, and I teach him about meeting the people where they are, being right. able to see eye to eye with the individuals. Um, I think that that's, that carries on beyond anything else. You can be a salesperson, but you can be the wrong type of salesperson. You Indeed. can be selling bad goods. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> but if you're natural within the course of what it is that you're doing, that's going to allow you to be able to exist in any space, yeah. no matter what it is, whether Indeed. it be alcohol, whether it be music, whether it be podcasting. Right. I mean, you've got a winning personality, you Thank know, from you. our conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to be able to work with a person right. like you. Why? Because that carries over your personality. Yeah. And what you kind of alluded to is uh, like a sales technique that people that, you know, I've, I've been through corporate sales training and all that, but a bunch <laughs> of different organizations. And they always tell you, focus on the with them. What's in it for me? And you showing the right. the end user or the right. customer or the business, right. whatever it is, what's in it for them. And not just, benefit. yeah, what, not just speaking from a, from a standpoint of how you're going to benefit or why you should buy this from me. Right. It's like, no, like what's in it for you? Right. What are you going to do once you have this that's going to create economies of scale right. or a streamline? or better right. overall right. business position for yourself. Right, those are those are super duper key. Hence, in the middle of, you know, making and creating the formulas for Mishka, you know, I started with the honey vodka. Why? Because I realized that it was a colorful blend, you know, and forming into the Facebook and the Instagram and, you know, meta and all of these things that were going on. People want to take pictures of their cocktails. They Ex want beautiful indeed. cocktails. Yeah. But also at the same time, the end user wants a premium product that's not at an overpriced standpoint, right. but also has a quality to it that translates to no headaches, translates to no artificial additives, translates to gluten-free. Yeah. So again, it's like you said, it's meeting that person where they are, but also showing them the benefits of actually doing doing business with you. Absolutely. Um, in 20... <laughs> I want to skip that question. I'm going to put a pin in it. What was it originally that made you passionate about winemaking and then eventually spirits? So winemaking was a wusa for me. Got it. Um, just trying to find my way throughout industries, having a, a large monthly bill from a multimedia company that I was running, uh, dealing with artists, going through the streaming, starting to become a part of life and kind of losing grip. Yeah. of the artists and the direction. Um, I needed winemaking at that time. Got it. It was something that I didn't know how to do, so it gave me a challenge. Got it. I'm always looking for a challenge because yeah. that's where elevation comes from. So the winemaking, it was difficult for me. I bought a, a small fridge at first. I made a bunch of crappy wine. <laughs> right. I bought a larger fridge. I made more crappy yeah. wine. How much trial and error is involved <laughs> in that in that process till you get to like something that's at least not palatable. even good, just palatable? Right, just palatable. It took me two and a half years. Got it. Of just trying to figure it out because it was new to me. Yeah. So with things being new to you, you you know you want to have that aggression to be able to get it done. But once I hit, it became just like a part of that lockstep and that and that, and that you know. Got I understood it. the nuance of it Got at it. that point. So at the time when you're starting, you're still running the multimedia company. You're experiencing industry challenges. You're, you know, you're dealing with piracy and all of this different stuff that basically, essentially, like the music business hit an iceberg at a point. Yes, it did. And a lot of people, you know, were just so stuck in their ways. They thought this is just going to fix it. It's going to right size itself. It's going to rebound. And it'll be out. Instead of looking for innovation points right. to fix what was right in front of them. Right. I had 15 CD burners that were cranking out nonstop. <laughs> yeah. 
in a little office, <laughs> cranking out nonstop, and then streaming hit. And I was yeah. like, wait a minute. What do you mean by you don't need these right. things? Right, we're just gonna put everything in one, this little <laughs> like, thing, this little box. So what are you doing? It was a blow to my ego, but also at the same time, looking at the industry change and look, it's a blessing. The artists, they have more control. They, they should, yeah. the artists. But it also left a lot of us in a, in a bad space. Yeah. Because we didn't know what to do. Okay, now I just became, I just became a guy managing a bunch of different things, but now I'm basically just owning a studio and I'm trying to give people direction who might not want direction because they have full control. Indeed. So it kind of left, you know, me and even my whole team in kind of a place of limbo. Yeah. So I had to make the wine work. Right. Because if not, I wouldn't be able to reach my goals. My How hard was it for you to finally just, you know, shutter the doors and just say, this oh. is a wrap, it's over, like for the multimedia company? That was difficult. That was difficult. I'm big on employment. I love the ability to be able to assist with a person being able to move their own lives forward. Indeed. That's a part of me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was just about to get married. I had found the woman that I wanted, you know, to marry. Yeah. And I had to make a decision. It was either continue to go down to the, to the office with the studio and the multimedia setup and deal with the two, three o'clock in the morning, you know, that I'm leaving there, yeah. <laughs> you know, or get up in the morning at 5.30, 6 o'clock and get to the winemaking or get to the process. Yeah. And then once I figured out how to make it palatable, and then once I figured out that I had something and that something was something that was consumable consistently, right? Uh, that became my passion. Got it. In 2010, um, This Life Forever became the first dual licensed minority owned winery and distillery in the United States. Yes. Walk me through that accomplishment from idea to execution. So the idea, I was gung-ho as far as about the wine. Um, my mom slowed me down. Got it. I said, hey, you need to get a handle on this. You, you know, you going 90 miles right, an hour. You're going 90 miles an hour, <laughs> you know, and selling wine out of the back of your Mercedes. <laughs> it's not gonna work for long. Yeah. So um, thankfully, she was able to rein me in Got it. and my wife on the other end, she was able to help rein me in also, but help also boost it because of the fact that she was my original tasting person. Got it. So while my mom had my back on the back end of making sure that, you know, that I had a solid ground, um, my wife and I and my team, who I converted from the multimedia standpoint of it. Got it. I put them back on and we awesome. became the street team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, so that worked in that way. Yeah. Uh, are you still the only minority-owned winery distillery in 2023, or has there been some more penetration by other people so far? There has been good, 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 wholesome penetration. I'm happy that I'm not the only. Okay, good. Um, so yeah, the, the field is opening up. Uh, Got it. But we're we're less than one to two percent of the whole industry, of the, the whole, whole industry. pie. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. What are the biggest challenges do you see of getting more? people of color involved in the spirits business on an executive management and ownership level? Um, so we'll break that apart a little bit. Okay. Okay. So there's three. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. 
Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Doubles as I look at it, right? There's the brand owner. There's the brand owner manufacturer. And then there's the executive, right? Mm -hmm. The big boys, right? Got it. We've got great coverage on the executive side. You know, you've got a gentleman like at Diageo, Malcolm Ellis. This guy's go, like, go hard yeah. as far as when it comes down to black founders. Um, they're learning the black manufacturer side of it. Got it. Uh, but the brand owners from the founder side, they're coming in a plethora, thankfully. Got it. Um, but we're not really heavily on the manufacturing side. Got it. Uh, and that's where we stand our ground. Um, currently, we're not only producing for ourselves, well, we've got contracts that are for companies that aren't, you know, black-owned companies. Yeah. Because of the quality that we produce. Right. And that's the blessing of it. So when you break that those tiers apart, um, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, and we want to make sure that we're a forerunner within that work. That's why it's important that, as you mentioned, double gold. Um, it's, you know, when you look at, you know, black founders, there's no other double gold black-owned spirits company. Got it. So we want to be at the forefront of that, uh, and we don't want it to be a selfish space. We love if more people win accolades because right. it makes us stronger in the industry. Indeed. Um, so that's kind of where the industry sits. On this banner that we have here yeah. for, for the product, you got a couple silvers, you got a gold, then you got the double gold. How dedicated are you and were you through that process of refining this product from where it's like, you place him, place again, place a little bit better. To now you're at the pinnacle in terms of rating when it comes to industry standard. Right. So give you a little backstory about the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. San Francisco World Spirits Competition is the oldest spirits competition in the world, right? The first, right? Yeah. Um, they're the gold standard. It's a blind tasting. You have sommeliers and top industry folks. Right. Everything's poured into a glass and passed around. No labels on the bottles. Um, it's not a pay-to-play type of thing. Mm. Uh, and if it is, I'm, I haven't been invited. Your product is judged on its own merit. It's on its own merit, uh, thankfully, right? Because we don't get enough of that fair shake at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so first entry, uh, which I don't think is up there, 2016 was the first entry. Got it. Paid for the entry, it's roughly about, I think it's 500 at the time per entry. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's a cost for getting it there and all that type of stuff. Roughly about a thousand bucks per entry. We didn't win anything. Got it. It was palatable, but it didn't reach their standard. Mm -hmm. Comfortable. 2017, needed to be able to get to that. Resubmitted the Honey Vodka, trained it a little bit better, sent out a bunch of samples. Took a lot. Got back some good reviews. Right. We struck silver. 2018, a little different. Struck silver again. I think that they were still trying to figure out the whole natural aspect of it because we're no preservatives. There's no, you know, there's no active sugars. There's no yeah. nothing. It's all natural honey vodka, corn base. Um, year after year, I realized that I had to get better. 
Because if these people are the gold standard and they're saying, hey, you got more work to do, I can feel however I want to feel. Right. But they're the gold standard. Yeah, the standard is the standard. The standard is the standard. It's you been there long before you was going to be here after you. And if you are a person who wants to move the marker, you know, to be able to satisfy yourself, you'll always be a loser right. in my eyes. It's <laughs> just real. reality. I mean, right? yeah. I mean, come on. You know, they don't, in football, they don't move the marker. Hey, you know what? He kind of... No, it's you was working you, real hard. You almost got there. You right. give it to you anyway. I'm gonna give it to you anyway. Doesn't work that way. Um, that's a whole another conversation. <laughs> participation trophies. Yeah, right? yeah. So in this, there's no participation medals at yeah. all. So the diligence of working at that and sending out so many samples and getting bartenders to taste the product, showing off the mixability, to be able to hit in 2018, I think it was in 2018, uh, being able to hit gold. We felt good about that. Yeah. But I took some time off. I took a year or so off because I knew that that wasn't it. Right. I changed a bunch of things about the product. I changed the different contents, the formulation of it, keeping the same core of it. Yeah. Uh, but then hitting 2021 20, and being double gold, I mean, that was it. The time off was needed. And it, it, it gave you that refreshing point right. of, let me get, take a fresh set of eyes. Right fresh uh, set of taste buds at right. this and re-approach this formula and then now right. strike go. double gold. Right, now we're here. <laughs> yeah. So we went from gold to double gold. So right. very proud of us, just from a team standpoint. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. If we can get into specifics, because you talked about the manufacturing level kind of being where like the, the ultra like kind of big boys sort of play, where it's like where you're manufacturing your own product, soup to nuts and going to market. Right. What type of startup capital would someone need to establish their own distillery manufacturing facility? And second part to that question, is the financial part the biggest barrier to entry? Very good question. And I was going to jump in and begin to answer, but then you had the second part, yeah. which is key. So what I'll do is I'll put the, I'll put the B first. Got it. Okay. You can go out, you can go and get a distillery license, right? Yeah. And within getting a distillery license, nothing's promised. I know guys who spend two and a half, three million on distillery. Oh, wow. All right. But the product's not good. After you make it all pretty and you do the tours and all that type of stuff, if the juice doesn't sustain, then you've got an issue. It's just a fact. Right. So market penetration is super duper key having that route to market is super duper key. So you can go and open up a distillery for five, six, seven hundred thousand. Got it. Without an issue. Um, but now you either need to have a green thumb in order to be able to produce, or you're gonna go out and go get someone to produce for you. Got it. Another cost. Um, so I would say from a startup standpoint of it, you're gonna need at least about 1.2, 1.5. That's just getting in the door. That's just getting in the door. Yeah. But now you got to go with forming a brand. And that's where, <laughs> again, my background, like it works. Yeah. You know, uh, our labels are designed by uh, Monsieur Mikey, who's a designer. He's a clothing designer. Mm -hmm. That's why the details for the bear top hat, you know, the, the bear, yeah. the symbol, the shield, all the way down to the bottle being a super flint so you can see the actual liquid. Right. Those are marketing tools. Exactly. So the A and B portion of it is you could come in with a million bucks, but you'll probably spend another million and a half. Just, just trying to get 
trying to get into market or just trying to get the product right? Just trying to get the product right. Right. Because before you even get to distribution channels. Before you even get channels. to the distribution, because distribution is a whole other animal. Yeah. And it's uncontrollable because that's not us. We don't own distribution. Right. Naturally. You know, we're talking prohibition. Mm-hmm. Those lines have been You're set. talking about something that predates all of us. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, you know, um, that's what I, I tell people. Look, I tell people all the time, you should be aggressive if you want to be in the space. But understand, you could, there's a possibility you'll lose your shirt. Right. Uh, I'll give you a point. Having the winery license and then getting over to the distillery license, the state of Pennsylvania was still, it was a nuance for the state of Pennsylvania. Mm. So the fine print of reading that you had to shut down your wine operations while you're getting and adding on your distillery license. Mm -hmm. That was a nine month break. Right. We were already selling our primary product, which was Bernay. Right. It had and to it was pause, working. And you had to pause had that. To shut it down. In order to get the approval. In order to get the approval. Yeah, that's crazy. And not a lot of people can sustain a pause like that. So when you say, you know, how much to get in the game, I mean, that was a, that nine months was roughly about a three, three, three hundred and fifty thousand dollar hit. Yeah. That hurt. Right. Yeah, shit. <laughs> I had to think about it, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, not a lot, at this point, it's like, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, peer-to-peer, person-to-person, not a lot of people can necessarily, a person can sustain. Losing their job today, don't know if they're going to work again for, say, six to eight weeks. Right. So on a business standpoint, you extrapolate that out where you, you're talking about being responsible for 10, 20, 30, 50, 80 people and being able to have to sustain the operation right. and their standard of living there. Right. They get a paycheck every week or every right. two weeks, whatever right. it is for nine months right. while you basically place a, a bet place on, or whether you're going to get it or whether other, you're not on this other thing right. that may not even happen. May not even happen. Yeah. That takes a lot of, uh, takes a lot of chutzpah, a lot of, <laughs> to be, to right. lot, of a lot of balls to be right. able to even do something like that right. because you bet on yourself that essentially I've done so much right through the process that this right. is going to this happen. This is going to happen. This will work. Yeah. And it will be great. Something that you touched on briefly that I, I, that I do want to dig into is um, corporate governance and legal scrutiny because it's, it's all different from state to state. And a lot of people don't understand when you're talking about business, especially in the state of Pennsylvania, you're dealing with a special, special set of rubrics when it comes to the processes and paperwork and who you got to talk to and all of that because it's a commonwealth. Wow. So it makes everything different. So what type of corporate governance and legal scrutiny do you place, do you face rather, bringing a product like Mishka to market? So here's the greatest part of, and I always know what people speak about as far as when it comes down to the state of Pennsylvania. If you're not in the state of Pennsylvania, it's the worst state for you, quote unquote. Um, but if you're in the state of Pennsylvania, which we produce here in the state of Pennsylvania, yeah. um, it gives us an ultimate advantage. That ultimate advantage is that I can drive to Harrisburg. I can request a meeting. Yeah. It might take some time to get the meeting on the board, but that's there for us mm -hmm. in every way. Um, the state of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth owns 650 stores. They're the second, or second largest buyer, wholesale buyer of alcohol in the nation behind Costco. Goodness and gracious. used to be the first. Right. Right. <laughs> so when you look at it, 
to be able to have the relationship value with the Commonwealth and being able to connect from the Commonwealth side of it, it works in every single way Right. for us. Because as long as we can continue to grow the product, like here in Philadelphia, like out in Erie, like in Lehigh Valley where we, where we produce that, yeah. that gives us a, a good in because now we can attack it right there at the root of it. We can get up every single day and be able to attack that. Right. Push in the stores, taste things in the stores. Yeah. Um, so the corporate governance side of it is once you get in the door, mm -hmm. they're going to give you the route to it because they don't want something sitting stale on the shelf. Yeah. So they want to work with you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's been a benefit for us. Like awesome. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story if mm -hmm. I can. I have a friend who works for um, another Spears company. I won't say their name because <laughs> today is all about Mishka and Thank you. Russell Fletcher. So we're going we're, we're, we're to, we're not going to say who, but essentially I'm going to give you a scenario um, about what it's like to be on the outside in trying to get something done in Pennsylvania on yeah. a spirits level. So I got a friend of mine, he's a he's a market director for a large spirits company or whatever, international company headquartered mm -hmm. in Europe. And they have a product mm -hmm. that um, exists only in certain outlying markets right. that you can't get historically in the United States. Yep. So because of different market challenges, them going up against, you know, tequila, losing market segmentation and stuff, they say they go to, to big headquarters over in, in Europe and say, hey, you got to take the handcuffs off. We need y'all to unleash this product that you normally only can get they want in it. these certain markets in the United States. That's what's going to give us a leg up. They, they, they go back and forth, days, months, and all of that. They finally say, you know what? We're going to sign off on this. Right. We're going to come to market. They come to market. Every territory that they wanted to do it in gets approved except Pennsylvania. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. And essentially, they have this winning product that, yeah. that kills, that people pay two, three, four X for. That some people even some people even smuggle it smuggle back. it in yeah, smuggle uh -huh. it back. Yep. You know where I'm going with this, yep. and they can't even basically get approval to sell it because of our standard and our stipulation for how the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and our wine and spirits directory reacted to the product itself and yep. saying this doesn't meet our shelving guidelines for us doesn't. to be able to even do this. Nope. We don't care what Florida and New York and all these in Ohio did. It has nothing to do with us. The rules are the rules. That's a fact. But you want to know one thing that's great as far as about that product? It's a great product. Yeah. But you know what is actually better than that product? Mishka honey vodka. Right. <laughs> so, so even if you're not a vodka drinker, right. you notice there's a similarity in the color. Indeed. Right? There's a very, there's, there's a smoothness to it. Yeah. So I suggest, I suggest, whichever camera. Hey, everybody right, who couldn't get. Right. You should try Mishka honey vodka. It will soothe your palate. I guarantee you that. <laughs> as a, uh. As a CEO and a leader of, of, of business and industry, how do you balance out the premium product and literally knowing as the master blender, master distiller, what's in it? You know, soup to nuts, what's Word. in it? And it being a truly premium product, not just you saying it, right. versus how you price said product. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. Product when it goes to shelves for consumer uh, purchase. So, I mean, from the quality of it and the input ingredients wise, 
uh, we only want to use the best. We want the water. We don't want to do, you know, we don't want to use city water. You know, we want to be able to get the water in. We want to chuck the water in ourselves. We'd rather do a refill on it. We want a certain yeah. pH to the water. Um, and I have a certain palate. Got it. From a consumer aspect of it, I always think about myself as a consumer. The inspiration to Mishka Honey Vodka was Grand Marnier. I used to be a big Grand Marnier Rosé guy. Right. You know, that was a very long time ago, but yeah. those were my things. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes down to a price point, I feel like uh, domestically, American-wise, we owe transparency and pricing. Don't throw three, four, five dollars on it unnecessarily because one of the things that's killing our world is greed. Right. Right? So if I know that if I can get a deal on something, glass or labels or whatever it is, I'm going to build that into the price model. Mm -hmm. um, and then I want to look at the guys who imports. And, you know, I, you want to break down a product and say, okay, well, you know, we want to be able to give the people a better offer than that. But also at the same time, we want the proprietor to be able to make their money also. Indeed. So we want it to be a quality product on your shelf at home, your home bar. We want it to have the mixability that it needs to. Therefore, the quality ingredients are there. But we also want to make sure that we're meeting you, the customer. Yeah. We want to meet the customer at a price point. Mm -hmm. This is a great value for a one liter. This is a great value for a 375. Right. This actually makes sense. Yeah. So it's, you know, you look at the market, you look at what's out there. And then, you know, you want to be able to play within the price point that makes sense for a person right. as a consumer. Yeah. Because you don't want to give the balance that you kind of got to do is you don't want to give away too much value for not enough money. And then you also don't want to overprice the premiumness of it to where you almost like price yourself out of the segment. Right. And then that's like the delicate dance that you do that's up and dance. down like the segment. Right. Like take fences. This product's on the shelf right now. I want to say 25 bucks. These are the flavors. They're on for $31.99. Difference is, the flavors take a whole lot more, and they're going to save you on your cranberry juice, right? Right, which spoils. They're going to save you on your simple syrups, right? So now instead of doing a five-part cocktail, and yeah. you got a three-part cocktail. Right. So now the proprietor saving money. The at-home person is losing some of that sugar. Right. Less ingredients to have in yeah. your fridge. Because this is a fully organic product, right? Fully, fully, fully. All natural. We don't, there's no tampering with it. Got it. But why add a $31.99 price point to this product when I know that we can put it out there for 25 bucks at a liter? Right. Why do that? Yeah. That's greed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't have to participate in that. We can yeah. give you something of great value that's double gold. Right. And it's going to knock the socks off. Indeed. So basically, so these products here um, essentially are fall into like the, the ready to drink or ready to serve category of product that is basically kind of what I from what I, my research is leading vodka's, you know, stability through the whole industry. One hundred percent. And I mean, you know, we've got two more variants that are coming in the Mishka setup. Uh, and with those next year also, we'll be doing the RTDs, the ready to drink which will then translate over. Now it just makes it super duper easy. For exactly. You, but still keeping the same formulation. We still want to make sure that we're all natural. We still want to make sure that you don't have a hangover due to the compounded sugars. Indeed. We don't want that. Right. You know? uh, according to Beverage Information and Insights Group, uh, vodka remained a robust spirits category. 80.6 million nine liter cases sold in 2022. 
Uh, Tito seems to be the anomaly in the industry. Everybody else's business shrunk a little bit. They're up almost five and a half percent at 11.6 million cases, which I hear that and I'm just like, it's a lot of cases. It's a lot of cases. <laughs> uh, rounding out the top three, Smirnoff uh, at 8.6. They were down 1.8%. New Amsterdam, uh, 5.8 million. They shrunk 3.7%. With so much opportunity and upside, what type of aggressive strategy and or marketing will it take for Mishka to crack the top 10 and then eventually the top three? Uh, so our strategy is liquid to lips. We need to be able to continue, and we're going to continue to get liquid to lips. That's whether it be liquid to lips at a corporate level, liquid to lips at a party level, liquid to lips at a walking in, a salesperson walking in, try the product. When you have a superior product, you don't have to oversell. Got it. So if we can continue to show off the mixability, the ease of use, yeah, and the quality of the product by going liquid to lips, I think in any way you're gonna present and you can hit all the high notes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's gonna be up to the consumer to continue to pour. Got it. So knowing or an aggressive marketing strategy, uh, hence doing interviews like this and being able to get in front of people and letting them know that it's an option. I think that mixing that all in, I think that it makes us an obvious choice. Indeed. What is it that, um from like an ingredient or health-based standpoint that makes uh, Mishka different from its competitors. We talked about, you know, being organic, the process and everything like that. What is it that makes it in your eyes as the, you know, the founder and all these other hats that you wear for the company, a superior product to what else is out there? Um, so I learned something in alcohol, right? A long time ago, and we won't name any brands, but when you come with flavors, right? There's a process, right? And it's a chemistry process, yes. right? It's 70% alcohol. It's 30% all the other stuff to be able to make it hit the nose properly, to be able to make it finish in the palate, mm -hmm. to trick the palate via the yeah. nose. Not be harsh, not like- Not be harsh, add smoothness to it, but still all synthetic. Got it. There's nothing synthetic about Mishka. Mm. There's honey in there. Right. There's cranberry in here. And I'm not talking about cranberry juice. It's not a mix of cranberry actual juice. Actual cranberry. There's actual cranberry in there. So the quality on that side, if anybody looks it up, cranberry prices are spiking over the last 16 to 18 months. Yeah. We're paying more for cranberry. The price hasn't gone up. Your price is static throughout that. Still. Yeah. Pandemic, everybody raised their prices. We stayed where we were. Yeah. Because we'll find ways to be able to meet the consumer there because we have to be conscious of what we're going through. Recessions. Yeah inflation mm -hmm. and everything else. <laughs> yeah. But we still want it. We know that we still have to win people at the bars. Absolutely. Uh, how many states is Mishka in currently? So currently we're in Pennsylvania, obviously, mm -hmm. Georgia, Texas, uh, just registered and accepted in Florida. Uh, by Q1 next year, we'll be in Delaware, Maryland, along with New Jersey. Awesome. Uh, we, we touched on a double goal and I kind of want to go back to that mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, winning that award, what does it do for the brand itself from 
uh, a prestige presence and like a sales standpoint. And I kind of want to make maybe make a comparison. Is it almost like equivalent to like when an artist wins a Grammy and then they get like a boost in their sales 100%. for like four to eight weeks? 100%. 100%. Because when you walk into, so we're Total Wines approved, right? Total Wines, everybody knows this one. Everybody of, knows Total right? Wines. Everybody knows Total <laughs> Wines, right? Okay. For us to do Total Wines, they wanted to know where's that printed at? Because yeah. everybody says, oh, I yeah. have this. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, Her Herm Doce, says success comes with receipts. Like, you have to substan be able to substantiate what you're saying. It's true. Like, we wouldn't put it everywhere if it wasn't. Yeah. Because that is, this. that's where you want to be at. As a spirits maker, you want a double goal. Yeah. I don't care whether you say, oh, accolades, oh, that doesn't mean anything. No, it means something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it didn't mean anything, then... <laughs> They wouldn't have them. Yeah. Let's just we just realistic. do away with the system. <laughs> just, we, we, come on, yeah, just willy-nilly. Everybody just yeah. do what they want to do. Yeah. Everybody's at the gold standard. It's not true. Right. The double gold definitely, it gives you a place in history, mm -hmm. and it gives you a place in the history of spirits, and it allows people to say, okay, you know what, I want to try that, because it obviously, it's got to be quality. Yeah. And then again, they taste the product. And you know that's your setup right. point. I just thought about something. Um, I've, I've, I'm very, uh, you know, in tuned and interested in like just the fashion industry on the whole. And a lot of times, people like Dame Dash kind of like exposes a lot of the fallacies of in the fashion industry. And when you know you hear these big, huge numbers, oh, we did a 180 million at retail, 400 right. million at retail, but he breaks it down to like you know the actual cost right. and the actual money that right. a brand takes home. Uh, with that in mind, when it comes to like liquor, are you, do you have to pay for like product placement, shelving, stuff like that in order to basically get your, create more visibility for your brand within the stores that you're in or is that just kind of organically decided by the retailer? It's a business. They've got a business to run. Like again, you don't see you don't see certain stores, but you see these huge liquor warehouses, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's not a spoon store out there, right? <laughs> I don't, I, at least I don't know of one, right? No. But everybody uses I, a spoon. I've never been to one. <laughs> no, I've never been to a spoon store. But there are liquor warehouses, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a business. You're going to pay one way or three others. Got it. That's a fact. Okay, Yeah, Got you're going to pay in some way. Uh, as a CEO and founder, mm -hmm. how do you feel about celebrity endorsement of Spirits brands? And does it have an actual effect on the bottom line of the business? Or is it just something that just, you know, looks cool, you you know, run print ads, billboards, whatever, whatever. Does Have you seen it to where there's a direct correlation to money on the books for a business when they partner with like celebrities and stuff? I mean, we always looked at that as a double-edged sword. Okay. Um, That's an honest answer. I right? Like answer. We always looked at that as a double-edged sword because you can see the spike, you can see the boost, but then it also could be that car crash or that indecent exposure charge. Could be the beginning of the end as opposed to the beginning of a trend. Right. So, I mean, you know, you take, for instance, something like George Clooney, right? Mm -hmm. George Clooney jumped in. He had a very valuable partner who had the retail side locked mm, in. Got it. Uh, that was the perfect mix. Uh, but then you don't find the perfect mixes. And those unperfect mixes, those are the ones that sink the ship. So I feel like there's a way to be able to balance it depending on what you want to do with the company. Got it. If you're looking for a quick pop and then you want to sell the company off, similar to a Casamigos, yeah. that's the way to go. But if you're going for longevity, I think that 
I think you have to be able to hunker down on something and really be able to hold tight to something. Got it. Uh, and that's been our right. Yeah. Um, our, our right has been more so to tell a true story, similar to Tito's. Got it. Told a true story. Made in America, organic product. Gravitated toward Double gold winner. It's quality. This is what it is. This is easy to digest. This makes sense. Why? Because you're meeting the people where they are. Right. We're everyday people. And, you know, we fashion ourselves on that route. Yeah. Um, which has led to, I guess, me being more sort of spokesperson for the product. Got it. Uh, I think I've, I think at this point I've extrapolated every detail of the uh, the spirits business uh, from soup to nuts, Adi. So I want to talk to you about something else. Uh, talk to me about the Start Engine campaign. We talked about it a little bit off, uh, you know, off air, off camera. Let's talk about the Start Engine campaign and what this Life Forever is looking to accomplish by basically allowing people to privately invest into the company. You know, so. People like you and I, right? Walking around, we're consumers, yes. right? But we don't get those emails, text messages, letter in the mail, when a spirits company is about to go, did you get the Casamigos email? I did not. You didn't get that? You didn't no. get the text either, no. right? Okay, I didn't get when, the Don Julio one you either. You didn't get that one either, <laughs> right? Right, so we're stuck as consumers, unfortunately. Yeah. Right? Good products, great products, create great memories, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like, where's our skin in the game? Right. So for me, I looked at it in the beginning of the journey. It was about, for me, okay, give it to the people in some way, yeah. right? Grow it, be able to have it as a point of quality, and then being able to give it to the people. So going to Start Engine, we jumped in with Start Engine roughly about two years ago. Okay. And I wanted to just watch it. I wanted to watch them as a platform. They were newly doing what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, we were growing as a company, uh, fresh out of the pandemic fresh out of our hand sanitizer uh, capitalization and being able to give it to the people and becoming a sweetheart of America's story in the Northeast and then traveling yeah. out. Um, I knew that we had something that the people would gravitate to, but the story would have to be told properly. And I knew that venture capitalists, the big players, that they wouldn't be our refuge. Mm. Um, I wanted to be able to, again, give it to the people, give people an opportunity. Yeah. So when I seen Start Engine and during Obama, uh, 2008, he signed in, or 2009, he signed in the Reg CF option to raise money through the SEC. Oh. Like Start Engine is an SEC back company. They're, yeah. they're, they're grounded, you know, in yeah. SEC. More corporate governance. Like there's more corporate <laughs> governance to it. So to take it that route yeah. and not have a bunch of these one-on-one -on -one conversations with a bunch of people who might want to give some money. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Because they feel like, oh, this could possibly hit. I'd rather we lay it all out and people to be able to make the choice. So within our Start Engine campaign, you know, a person was laughing the other day and he said, well, dude, you start off at 300 bucks, you're getting 300 shares of your company. He said, but if you look at the package, you're giving people 200, $250 worth of stuff. So, I mean, where are you winning at? I'm winning because of the fact that I have another individual who's passionate because they're passionate about what we're doing. Right. And they're, they become our cheerleader. 
they become the next person to bring Mishka to the party. Yeah, they're incentivized because yes. they're they're they in, they're in the on game. the ground level. Yeah. What's better than that? Right. I don't think anything's better than that. No, I don't think so either. No, that's a that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Um, in a perfect world scenario, Uh-oh. what do the next <laughs> five and Uh-oh. ten years look like for Mishka uh, to you? So right now, our goal is to those states that I mentioned. We need to be able to own ten percent of that market, right? Which is fair. Yes. Pennsylvania, four hundred and ten million dollars last year in vodka sales, combination of unflavored and flavored vodka. Mm-hmm. We have enough. And we have capabilities in order to be able to own 10% of that market. And you have new product coming to market And we also. have new variants that are coming to the market. Yeah. So our co-packing initiatives, uh, we've got a new facility that's being built. That's an expansion. Right? Amazing. It's going to five times, 5X, mm. our abilities and capabilities. We've got another facility in Western Pennsylvania in Erie with a new partner that we have. Right, uh, GDIC, Greater Erie Economic Development Corporation, right? Great relationship with those guys. Right. We're about to close on a building in Erie. That building is gonna feed the Midwest all the way down into Pittsburgh and all the way down into Louisiana. So now that bookends the state. Right. But it also gives us other states to be able to launch into, mm-hmm. along with Canada across the Great Lake. Right. right. Yeah. So in a perfect world for us is the eight markets that we're in, eight to ten markets that we're in. We want 10% of those markets. Right. I mean, people could do the math. Yeah. It's substantial. It's substantial. Um, I'm also hearing big things about an alkaline water facility that you have. <laughs> Talk to me about that business, what it looks like, and how it even like came about. So, so Mishka has two meanings, right? It can be taken in two different ways. Right? Got it. It could either mean in Eastern Europe, it can mean small bear, right? Which is what we coined it after, right? Um, but then also at the same time in Hinduism, it means uh, gift from God, mm. right? So uh, a companion of ours was in Georgia where we have distribution and he was introducing the product to people and the conversation ended up stringing along in the introduction to the facility with our partner, um, it came about. Water is essential. Absolutely. Water is essential. Drinking to, water right now. Right. Water is essential <laughs> to vodka making. Yes. Right. In some ways, I drink water too when I'm drinking vodka. Indeed. Right? It's it's yeah. you know okay. You talked about water right. being a key ingredient key to ingredients. the product and getting the right water getting to produce the it. Right water. So that came about, and because we have these relationships with Walmart, Target, Walgreens, I mean, you name them, big box stores through our relationships via our team, yeah. our home team, uh, we're able to place products. So we looked at it not only as an opportunity to be able to uplift that business owner because we have those relationships, but we also looked at it as an opportunity for us to continue to grow our base as this life forever. Right. Uh, I think I've exhausted you in questions today. <laughs> You, you've done a phenomenal job of, uh, you know, answering, extrapolating information, being specific, everything. So with that in mind, um, is there anything else that we missed that you feel like is beneficial for people to know, whether it be something that's industry, industry specific or a broader point? Anything that we might have just unintentionally jumped over or something we need to go back to to give some more context? To? 
I think the I think one of the bigger things is um, even tagging on to the start engine piece about giving it back to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, little fact that some people might know: uh, pandemic hit, uh, liquor store shut down, right? Uh, we put five cars on the road to deliver our product. Mm-hmm. Still wasn't making the money that we were making, being able to deliver it to restaurants and right. you know, and also the stores selling the product. Uh, so we pivoted over to hand sanitizer. Uh, hand sanitizer led us to our relationship with the um, NMSDC, EMSDC, um, and then put us in place with Comcast, the United States Postal Service. We delivered more hand sanitizer than any dis- distillery probably in the Northeast. That's amazing. Uh, we donated so much, like from meals to frontline employees. We donated hand sanitizer. Um, and that led, that opened up the door for our philanthropy. So tying into the Start Engine campaign, uh, it is still about giving it to the people. And we did that even with hand sanitizer. Right. So now we continue to do that. Uh, my partners, uh, we're big on community. Uh, we try to make sure that our initiatives always have something tied into what are we giving back. So just recently, uh, a couple of days ago, so let me rewind. So my son was born and he spent five or six days in the um, the NICU, right? Mm-hmm. Child, child ICU, mm-hmm. right? Newborn ICU. Um, and that was at our home hospital in Lehigh Valley, right? Lehigh Valley Health Network. Right. So that was five years ago. Now, let's fast forward, all the community work, all of our donations, how we work. Now I sit on the philanthropy board for our children's hospital cancer center. That's amazing. Right? We have a partnership with CHOP down here in Philly. They're yeah. our strongest partner. Mm-hmm. I sit on that board. We just, after six months worth of compliance, corporate governance. <laughs> corporate governance. Right? <laughs> That's, we, we might have to call this episode <laughs> corporate governance <laughs> with Russell. We, we now have a fully formed partnership that's robust between LVHN, right? Lehigh Valley Health Network, mm-hmm. and This Life Forever. Based on Mishka, the trade-off is cocktails, which restaurants, get the restaurants included, give them a spotlight, yeah. give them a play, having the hospital be a partner in that, and then we donate money based on that, on our raise. That's amazing. For me, that's community. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I sit on the board of uh, Chamber Greater Lehigh Chamber of Commerce, right, fifth largest in the nation. We gave out more money to small businesses throughout the pandemic to be able to keep them afloat. Um, philanthropy again, right? Yeah. Staying staying rooted in the community. Rising tide is a CDI uh, CDFI. Um, you know, a next portion lender outside of the big banks for small business owners. Like when I started, I yeah. couldn't get a loan. Right? I had the bootstrap in my own money. Right. Um, again, that's about the give back. So the start engine piece and tying that in to what we do in the community, uh, what my partners have done in the community, in Philadelphia and, and, and just nationwide, um, I think that those things are just really, really big. And I, I, you know, as we are a spirits company, we are really a lifestyle company right. that really just makes great spirits, award-winning spirits. Right. So I always want people to understand that from the This Life Forever standpoint of it. Uh, so even when you invest in Start Engine, it's so robust. But on the front side of it, you're thinking, okay, this is just an alcohol. Yeah. It's just a spirits company. But it's not. It's a whole lot more. Right. It's multi-pronged. Multi-pronged.
how can people get in contact with you, the company, where can they find the product in PA and other states? Give them all of that information um, and how they can most importantly invest on Start Engine. Well, the, the biggest thing is uh, here in Pennsylvania, uh, we are in the Wine and Spirits stores. You can catch us online, Fine Wine and Good Spirits. Uh, you can catch us at our own website, www.mishkapremiumvodka.com, uh, thislifeforever.com, or drinkmishka.com. And then for Start Engine, uh, you can go to startengine.com backslash Mishka. And it's very simple, easy to find. Yeah. And then obviously we're on Google. Leave a Google review. Indeed. Try the product. December 17th, we're doing our holiday hangover event. Mishka Vodka is coming on as a sponsor. We will have product. We'll have hopefully all three of these uh, oh, there available for y'all, uh, you know, to be able to, you know, taste, get familiar with and add, more importantly, add into your routine of spirits that you have while, you know, you're out and about when you're at home or whatever, mixing yourself up something to drink. We want y'all to add this because this is a product that I believe in. I actually probably should have led with this. I'm very familiar with the product and the brand. They were a big uh, supporter and uh, we did a lot of point to sale, like installation stuff at nightclubs that I was working at back in <laughs> 2011, 2012, 2013, up to probably about 2016 or 17. We constantly had those promos and stuff like yeah. that. And it was, um, you know, it was always very tasteful, very well done. And this is kind of like a full circle moment for me 100%. to be able to sit down with the CEO, the founder, uh, you know, of this company that, you know, I was already, that was supporting me and I was supporting, you know, kind of in a direct way. Uh, right. So this this has been phenomenal. I appreciate your time today, oh, sir. You Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Uh, Y'all can find this episode uh, on our website, officialtrp.com, also Revolt Podcast Network. Uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but when it's out, it'll be out before the show. Uh, with that in mind, man, make sure y'all, uh, you know, subscribe to all things TRP. Go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash official TRP. And if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the like button, share this content so that everybody can see. This is a big moment for us, a big moment for uh, the Mishka brand. And we are happy to be able to bring y'all this very specific dialed in conversation around 100%. all things business, spirits, alkaline water philanthropy all yes. of this great stuff that this uh, amazing gentleman has going on man so i'm signing off with your boy c diddy russell fletcher thank you who needs an alarm in the morning when mcdonald's has sausage egg and cheese mcgriddles and a breakfast cutoff ba da ba ba ba